previously on the Sick Invite podcast. The chance to reconnect with somebody that's, it, it's, it's like being reborn. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm going to take all the credit. I'm glad that we were able to do that you, for you. You, you're going to take all the credit. Me and Ricky, we, <laughs> yes. we are going you to take all the credit. You are now listening to the Sick Invite podcast with Kayla Herb and Ricky Grimes. Hello, my name is Kayla Herb. And I'm Ricky Grimes. And this is the Sick Invite podcast, a storytelling show about all ailments. Big or small, chronic or temporary, the Sick Invite provides an inclusive space for you to share your your story. What is wrong with you? Who, me? Yes. Oh, uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing good. We're in the dog days of summer, but it's a little hot outside, but I'm doing okay otherwise. How are you? I am great today. You want to know why? Why is that? Because this is one year of Sick Invite Podcasting. Is that, wait, what do you mean? Is this the first, the when the first episode came out is today? Uh, no, but the, this is the this? 53rd episode. So, so we be, have completed one full year. So it's 53 weeks in a year? There's 52 weeks in a year. So this is the... Oh, this I see. This is the start of the new the second year. Oh, So that's, we have completed cool. a year. And I think it's good. And I, and I would say it's going well, don't you think? I, I think so. I, I have a very nice message from somebody that made me think that it is going very well. Would you like to hear it? Yes, I would. This is from our listener, Leanne. And she says... She sent us this on Instagram. She goes, Hi, story time. I've been listening to the podcast religiously over the last couple months, and it has deeply impacted my practice as a nurse. Tonight, I have a patient who has newly diagnosed breast cancer and started on chemo weeks ago. She has gained over 150 pounds due to her treatment, surgery, and depression to her new diagnosis. She called me into the room to tell me she was having some pain in her leg, and what she described was peripheral neuropathy. I think I said that right. I paged the doctor, got med, got a med, and when I went back, she was crying. I asked her what was happening, and she said that everyone she talked to just assumed that her pain was from her being fat and not from her chemo. She said, everyone made me feel crazy. I've been so uncomfortable. I sat with her and reassured her that she is not, in fact, crazy and that her pain is real. I can't help but think about you and your podcast during moments like this. The impact this podcast is able to make is greater than you think, and I feel fortunate as a practitioner to be exposed to it. Oh, that's very nice. And that is our... So our our goal when we first started this show was to amplify voices and kind of normalize a lot of problems that are very common but at the same time to raise issue to things that people might not pay attention to and as we've evolved over the year in our advocacy efforts from this podcast uh, another goal of mine that I decided last week before she sent this in was to get more connected with medical professionals so that they can hear these perspectives because I don't think a lot of this stuff is things that you can learn in school. So I guess we're already achieving that goal. I think so too. I think people are really getting a, um, a, a perspective and they're hearing stories that they would normally see. And the reason being is, is because, you know, when would you hear them? When would you hear about stuff like this? I mean, that kind of a, an opportunity. To do it. And I think we're hopefully presenting it in a way that's, you know, entertaining maybe the wrong word, but uh, yeah, I think it's in a, in a way that's, um, you know, I, I think that there is something to that to make it, you know, maybe entertaining is probably not the right word, but just in terms of being a... I guess that interesting you to obtain the information. Yeah, a, a, a convenient and, and helpful and an enjoyable platform in which you can observe sometimes uh, sometimes positive stories where they end in a positive way. Sometimes they're, you know, more difficult stories of people going through something, and but all powerful and all... Uh, uh, valuable, I guess is the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for. So, so well, we really love doing the show, and we're happy that people are loving it too. However, there are ways that you can support us. This show is brought to you by KaylaHerb.com, where knit blankets, custom quilts, and other homemade items are available for purchase and custom order. Do you like our show? Please tell everyone about it. Follow us, like us, and share our content at the Sick Invite Podcast. We also have merch. Please buy the merch. We got some great hoodies, great, great stick stickers, mugs, shirts, buttons, a bunch of stuff. If you like the work that the Sick Invite Podcast is doing, consider supporting us financially. We graciously accept donations of any amount. Your donation will help us cover the cost of equipment, advertising, research access, and time spent preparing each interview. For three dollars a month on Patreon member, a Patreon member receives a monthly gift, early access to all episodes, and bonus content. If you would like to make a one-time donation, you can do so through the module on our website, thesickinvitepodcast.com. Thank you. 
please send us your story through our website if you want to come on the show. There's a form to fill out at the bottom of the page, and we'll contact you with further instructions. Okay, so we have our big uh, Klaus uh, Q&A, and you said you had a question for me from one of our listeners. Yes, actually, this question is from our guest oh, that our will guests. be on today. Oh, yes. from our guest, okay. So she wants to know if Klaus has a good cure for hiccups. Well, you know, we sent this over to, to, to dear producer Klaus, who has been our producer for a year now. And, you know, I think, you know, his contract is coming up, so we will have to do an evaluation. Maybe that'll be next week. We have to find the time. And I say we just do the evaluation on the air. You know what I mean? We're just uh, we're transparent here, so we'll do it on the air so he could see it. Um, and the question is, is uh, he wrote to me, is about hiccups. So let's read what uh, pr- uh, producer Klaus had to say. And uh, he said, hello, uh, listener, in this case, guest, but he doesn't know. Uh, thank you so much for your question. I have actually never had the hiccups before and frankly never knew what they were. I had to look it up. There are some pretty funny YouTube videos with uh, people have with hiccups. It seems to be a pretty serious thing. I hope I never catch them. When I do and I come up with a, a cure, I will certainly let you know. Thank you, Producer Klaus. Useless. Didn't even know what hiccups were, which is kind of an interesting twist. I mean, to be so lucky, to live such a treasured life, to not have such a minor inconveniences like the hiccups. It's a treasured life he lives, I think. He's a lucky person. You may have heard her on episode nine, but again, we ask, so Kelsey, what's wrong with you? <laughs> so, again, um, so I uh, had COVID-19. And I am considered a COVID-19 long hauler um, because I am still experiencing symptoms from it. So how long is still? So I was diagnosed with COVID uh, the second week of March. Pretty sure it was I had gotten the test on the far end of when I had been experiencing symptoms that were probably COVID symptoms. But the finding out that I had COVID was like a wild experience so if you'd like i can start at the beginning <laughs> yeah well, we should there. clarify march, march of 2020. 2020 yes sorry you were like You're patient right. zero I, yeah i'm forgetting um i don't know time is a concept i don't a construct it's okay know. ricky thought it was fall yesterday I and was, if you're a future listener oh, it's yeah. july right yes yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> um yeah yeah so march 2020 so um i had gone to florida to visit my mother-in-law with my fiance. So this was the second and third week of February. So we flew back on February 25th. Now, COVID was a thing that people were talking about at this point. Like it had, you know, there were rumors out of, out of the, out of China and Japan. And then uh, Italy was in bad shape at this point. Um, The cruise line, that Japanese cruise line, I think it was, was it Jap? It was, it was off the coast of Japan, I think at one point. Um, But so we knew about COVID and like my mother was already like, holy shit, this is not, this is going to be bad. And the rest of us were like, it's like all the other diseases that came and went, other pandemics, things that people thought maybe were going to get bad, but not, you know, she'll still tell me to this day, I warned you. I'm like, okay, I get it. (laughs) Um, But so we went, we were supposed to have gone on a cruise to Italy, which at the time that we were flying, so we were flying back from Florida, sorry. We were flying back from Florida. We were flying back on the 25th. At the time we had been in, the time that we were in Florida, nobody was in masks. Um, people were talking about it and they were like, oh, this thing that's, you know, out there, how terrible. Glad we're safe. Um, and we had reflected on the fact that um, Anthony's mom has wanted to go to Italy forever. It's like her bucket list uh, is to go back to Italy. And so she has family in um, Palermo. And so she wanted to take a cruise where we flew into Palermo, took the cruise out of Palermo, redocked, and then flew back out. That was supposed to be that February, that trip, when Italy was in really bad shape. So we were like, wow, can you imagine if we were in Europe while this was going on? Horrible. Uh, How lucky are we that we weren't there? Um, Flew back on the plane. While we were boarding the plane, people were coming onto the plane, some of them in masks. And we were like, wow. Those people are really precautious. <laughs> like, no, right, right. no need for that. Like, but fine. Like, we weren't really judging them, but it just was kind of like a weird sight to see. It wasn't normal for our airports. And this was also my first time I was ever on a plane, too. So I was, like, in the awe of being in the, the airport and the plane and everything. The entire flight back, either directly behind me or, or more than one seat behind me, 
somebody was hacking their lungs out the whole flight back. And I just remember being skeeved out generally by that. Like, just like, ugh, the air, gross. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I caught COVID on the flight. But if there was going to be a place where I was probably most exposed to it, would have been on that flight or in the international airport where there were a ton. It was Orlando International Airport. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. massive. So I don't know. But that's sometime between then and the beginning of March, I started to not feel well. So I flew back on the 25th, felt fine, was off the the rest of that week. I think I might have gone to work on either Thursday or Friday of that week. I can't really remember. But then that Friday, I went to dinner with Kayla (laughs) and (laughs) could have picked it up there. Luckily, you didn't get sick. But Mm -hmm. I could have had it and been talking to you over dinner and you didn't get sick. So I don't know. But um, then it was that following week, I went to work the entire week. Went to work full time in an office with a bunch of other people. Had in-person meetings with really important people. Like, and the entire time I was sick. But sick in a way that did not make me think COVID. I had the worst, like... Uh, intestinal and 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 uh, like gastric issues, like just painful, crampy, uncomfortable, gassy, upset stomach. Um, and it would be like I'd get a period of the day like that, and then I would be okay the rest of the day, but just generally felt shitty. I was having night sweats, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I'm not the kind of person to run to the doctor if I'm feeling sick. If it's really bad, I'll go. But otherwise, I like pop some Advil, take a nap, cold shower. Like I'm more of a like try to fix it by myself before I'll actually go to the doctor for better or worse. Um, but I got so bad to the point where I, and I thought it was, I actually thought it was some something like gynecological. I thought that something mm-hmm. was wrong with like my uterus or I, I couldn't tell, but that was where my pain was. And a lot of my discomfort was coming from that general area of my body. So I yeah, was I like, remember you asking me all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, it was totally not COVID. It wasn't COVID. I, I mean, it was, <laughs> I didn't think it was. <laughs> um, so, and it, at the time when people were first warning, you know, the general public in our area of the country about illness, it not, that was not one of the original symptoms. Nothing about your stomach. It shortly thereafter became something to look out for. But I wasn't taking my temperature. I assumed that my sweats were, again, something that was coming from my illness, not that I had a fever. Um, I didn't have a cough or a sore throat or sniffles or headaches. It was all in my abdomen. So I made an appointment for uh, a uh, gynecologist and um, I don't, I have bad luck with gynecologists. I just don't like them. I don't don't end up having a relationship (laughs) with one, which it it would be better that people have good relationships with their physicians. I've just never lucked out. Anybody listening, if you got recommendations, (laughs) hook me up, but I still don't have a gynecologist. So this was a random one that I found that had decent reviews online. They were able to take me in. That was Monday the 9th that I got the appointment for. So this was like Friday or something that I made the appointment. Saturday, I felt okay. Not, you know, not great, but fine. Sunday, I woke up with a cough. And I was like, oh, gross, great, a cough. I'm getting a cold on top of all these other symptoms. Again, did not think I had COVID for whatever reason. Like, was just not giving into it. It wasn't in our area at that point, as far as I knew. So Sunday, the cough came and went. I woke up Monday and I didn't have the cough anymore. I felt relatively okay other than my still discomfort, still not sleeping well, still having the night sweats. Go to the gynecologist. Um, the girls at the front desk uh, took one look at me and like shut their little windows and backed up and started asking me questions about have you had a cough, a fever, etc. I must have looked really bad. Um, I just looked at them and was like, no, because I... I didn't at that point. I didn't think that I did. So I told them no. The doctor came through, was like, she said, no, relax. You know, they took my temperature. It wasn't alarming at the time. So I went ahead with my appointment. Um, They took blood work. They did scans, whatever. They didn't find anything abnormal except weird numbers with my liver numbers, whatever those numbers are. I don't remember. They said that they were like high or something and that I should probably follow up with my physician. So I said, fine, whatever. That was Monday. So I went back home, relaxed, uh, went to bed, was going to go to work on Tuesday. I woke up Tuesday and I couldn't breathe, like could not breathe. Shallow breathing, couldn't get a deep breath, uh, panicked. Uh, Anthony had already gone to work. 
So I got out of bed and I found my mom in the house. And I'm, I'm not somebody who asks people to take me to the doctor. I'll just go myself. I'll drive myself to the urgent care unless I don't have a limb or something. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you need to take me to the urgent care. Something's really wrong. So we pull up at the urgent care and it's they had just put tents outside that they were swabbing people first for the flu and then sending you back to your vehicle while the flu culture does its thing and then letting you know if it was the flu they're going to send scripts in if it wasn't the flu which mine wasn't um they took you back in for a COVID test so i got swabbed went back and sat in the car with my mother in a tight space coughing and feeling like gross um went back got the COVID test and then they were going to send me away at that point and i was like you don't understand i can't breathe like i feel like i'm going to pass out this is really bad so mm-hmm. she took pity on me because we, they weren't letting people in and they didn't want anybody near any of their equipment or anything. She took me in the back because they didn't want me walking through. I guess I they just assumed that I probably had it and I did. So they were right. Um, but they put me in for a chest x-ray and I had developed bilateral pneumonia to the point where they told me I had to go to the hospital like overnight. I mean, I had a little bit of a cough on Sunday, but I did not cough at all on Monday. I didn't feel any lung issues. By Tuesday, I woke up and I was that bad. Um, they said something about your blood oxygen numbers and do you want, you know, you can go from here to the hospital. And I just said, no, because at the time the hospitals were starting to get bad. They didn't get really, really, really bad until like April, like early April, a couple of weeks after I was sick. That's where our spikes really happened. But even then I was like, they just sounded like a war zone. I still didn't think I had COVID. So I wasn't going to go to the (laughs) hospital and catch COVID. Um, so I declined and I went home and they said that they would let me know about the COVID uh, test. It would probably take, it could take anywhere from four to seven days to get the results back, but they were going to give me antibiotics, hoping that the pneumonia was a bacterial pneumonia as opposed to a viral one. Sent me home with the meds. Also said I had to monitor my blood oxygen. If my blood oxygen fell below a certain number, I don't even remember what the number was anymore. Um, I had to go to the hospital if it fell below a certain number. So we got a blood ox. I had my little baggie full of crap that I kept on my bed with me that had like my medication, my thermometer, whatever. Um, How do they do the the blood oxygen? What's the test? What do you do? So mine was like a a clip on my finger, which is usually what they do in the hospital. It's like an infrared. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then like some of the watches will have it too. Like I know that like the newer Apple watches have a blood ox meter in them. I don't know how accurate it is. I don't know how that works. But your, your, your blood ox should be... 100% if you're a truly (laughs) healthy individual. Um, Mine, uh, my normal range is somewhere between like 97 and 100 ish. Usually Uh, it's, it's usually at a healthy 99. When I was sick, it was mid eighties. And they were like, if it hits 83, you got to go. So luckily I was able to maintain a level that I was okay. Um, the urgent care doctor called me later that day and asked, did you go to the hospital? And I was like, no. And she said, why? And I was like, because like nobody can make you go to the hospital, but she was deeply concerned. So she was like, well, you should go. I can't force you to go, but you should go. And I'm like, okay, thanks. Hung up, not going. The following day she called again. And now this is somebody who's working in urgent care and is probably swamped with all the people coming to get tested for COVID and who are generally sick. And she's taking time out of her day to call me because she's that worried. So she was right. very nice, but it just I just didn't go. I just didn't feel like I could go. So then, um, you know, several days go by. At this point, my family, once they got me tested for COVID, we already started to separate ourselves and not be around each other too much just in case it was COVID. And the whole time, I'm still going, I'm sure it's not COVID. I'm fine. Like, wh- why would it be COVID? Nobody right, else. Like, what, yeah, what are the odds? Yeah, what nobody else in this yeah, area yeah, has sure. COVID. Like, we're right. fine. Right, right, right. Um, so, and at the time I didn't know, like, okay, anyway, so at the time I didn't, I, we didn't know, but like the entire time that I had been like night sweats and feeling horrible and waking up like uncomfortable, whatever, Anthony, my fiance, we, sorry, before we got married, we were sharing a bed, but he was there. Oh, I know. Oh no. Sin. Oh, I know. Um, so living in sin, he was there the entire time he slept and we shared We're big people and we shared a queen bed. We were like, we touch all night when we were in that queen bed together. So like the fact that he, he never got COVID, he never got COVID. And yet he was like practically on top of me the entire time that I was extremely sick and didn't know, we didn't know anything. So, um, that's wild. I don't know why that happened. Um, but, 
Uh, he eventually moved into the basement. Um, my brother got his room. My dad got my parents' bedroom. And my mom stayed in the living room. And we started to already, like, mini-quarantine ourselves inside of our own house, just in case. Luckily, we did. Unfortunately, my mother was already compromised. She had been, like, sitting with me um, every night that I was uncomfortable and drove me to the doctor and was, like, right there. She's the only other person in my household that got COVID. Everybody else was able to get away with not getting it. Um, but she started to not feel well with the same the same way that I didn't feel well. Completely gastro. Fully gastro. No lung issues or anything at first. Um, but as soon as she recognized that I was that she was falling into a similar pattern, she started to quarantine herself away from everybody. Um, by that following Saturday, I got the call that I had COVID. The urgent care again urged me to go to the hospital. <laughs> I said no again. Um, I, in hindsight, so stubborn. In hindsight, I survived. <laughs> However, could have been the worst decision I ever made. I'm grateful that it wasn't, but I recognize the weight of that decision and that it was really risky on my part, um, especially because I had got so sick. I got so sick to the point where I literally thought I was going to die at home. So, um, well, let me ask in terms yeah. of what the idea being is that they were afraid you were going to have such difficulty breathing that you would need to be in a hospital in order for them to provide some sort of assistance in that way. That was the concern. That was the concern. The concern was yeah. that I was not able to monitor my vitals the way that a hospital would be able to and that they would right. have the resources in the event that my blood ox dipped so low that like I went to a cardiac arrest or something. Right, right, right. I'm just going to arrest. <laughs> like it's just going to happen. There's nobody that's right, going right, to come right. and help. So right. that I think was their primary concern. They were doing their due diligence as uh, medical caretakers to um, advise that I do that. I was so terrified of the hospital situations and my we felt like we had equipped ourselves enough to handle it. However, had I gone to that 83%, I think it was, it was 83 or 85, had I gone there, I would have gone to the hospital, but I was able to monitor myself in a way that I felt was safe. And after she gave me the antibiotics for the pneumonia, I got better. I got like a lot better before I got the call that I had COVID. So I was like leaving my room a little bit more, hanging out in the basement with Anthony because that's where he had moved to. Like I was playing video games when I got the call that I had COVID and I just froze in the recliner in my parents' basement like, I have COVID? what? Like, it just seemed so it, it didn't. And so I looked at Anthony and I was like, I have COVID. And he was like, you do? And I'm like, yeah. And then my parents have been upstairs. They heard me get the phone call, but I didn't go to them right away. And my mom was like, what is, what do you have it? And I'm like, I do. And it just became like ground zero. It was like, everybody go to their corners, lock up, mask, gloves, everything. They had started, right. my parents started to stockpile like masks and gloves and Lysol, whatever they could originally um, in the pandemic. Eventually we stopped being able to get anything. But um, luckily I think that doing what we did to quarantine even before getting that phone call saved other people from getting sick in my house. We mm -hmm. also stopped going to work a week before, a few or a few days before New York State shut down. Like, Anthony stopped going to work. He called his job and let them know Kelsey was tested on that, that 10th, that Tuesday the 10th. Everybody let their jobs know that I had been tested, and they were all advised to start working from home immediately. So we were right. working from home about a week before everybody else was. Um, yeah. And I think that that really did save. Like, Anthony drove to school, and they met him in the parking lot and handed him a laptop before they even knew. Um, so I think that people started to realize that it was going down. Um so yeah that whole week was like i i hardly heard from you because yeah. i remember you were asking me about the pelvic pain and i was like well i'm nervous you have appendicitis don't ignore this random right. new pain you're having and then i didn't hear from you and then we were also quarantining because we were exposed to our two other friends who were right. patient zeros and waiting to see if we had it but i didn't think at all about you having COVID. i was where you were gonna have appendicitis and i was right. like all right i didn't hear from her She's probably just resting. If something bad happened, I'd hear from her mom. And then after like four days, I'm like, if you don't answer me, I'm coming over. No, actually, like, I no, do actually don't come that. over. Yeah, like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think of that 
uh, when I was like taking notes and recapping for this, but you're right. I do remember that. And in fact, something that I did remember that I thought was funny is that when I showed up to dinner with you that Friday before you looked at me and you were like, are you okay? Cause you look mm-hmm. thinner. And I was like, I'm fine. Probably just like general stress of life. And you were like, okay, just making sure that you're okay. I then went on to lose like 30 pounds when I was sick with COVID. Yeah. So like, I just think that's funny when I think about it. Um, that you were, it was almost like a weird, like premonition. You were like, are you okay? You look like you might not be well. And I'm like, I'm fine. I have a sixth sense. Meanwhile, yeah, I probably <laughs> had COVID. Um, but again, like the timeline's weird. Cause, and I, I think I was diagnosed at the tail end of me being initially sick, but because I had developed the bacterial pneumonia, the pneumonia mm. is really what kicked my ass bad. Um, I was bedridden for six weeks. Um, could not get up out of my bed for more than 20 minutes at a time without feeling completely weak, completely fatigued. Um, there were a couple of days, there was like a really, really bad like window of like about two days, maybe a little bit less where I did not leave my bed. Um, like, I don't even think I got up to use the bathroom. I feel like I felt like I was shutting down. I thought I was going to die. I would open my eyes and make peace with the fact that I thought that I was not going to survive it. Um, I started to like say my goodbyes to myself, to my family. But like, I didn't have, like, I didn't even have the strength to like write anybody. And like, they would come in and check on me and I would just be like, I'm fine. Um, I mean, at the time, my mother was now really sick too, where she wasn't even, she was checking in with me, like texting me or whatever, but she was trying to stay away. So then it fell on like my, my fiance and my dad to come in and check on me and take care of me. So um, once I got over that hump, um, I started to feel a little bit better, but again, that like fatigue never left. I mean, I'm still, I still am experiencing bouts of fatigue that I am privileged enough to have not experienced prior to this, um, whole thing. But I, I never, I never was the case that I felt like I would wake up in the morning and then not be able to actually get out of bed because I was so deeply in my bones exhausted and I've never felt that before. And so I can't even like the perspective of that coming from being a fairly healthy individual to now suddenly experiencing things like that, that people with chronic illness experience, you know, potentially for most of their lives um, was a bizarre thing. But so I went, so I was really, really sick. It was mostly the breathing, the pneumonia, um, the fatigue. uh, My appetite was weird because I couldn't taste anything for, at least six weeks. It was only at the tail end of the six weeks. So I started to be able to taste some things. Um, I survived on extra toasty Cheez-Its. It was like the only thing that I wanted to eat or <laughs> could stomach. Some of my best friends um, who didn't know what to do and they were considered essential workers. So they, cause they were working for Peapod. They would swipe me boxes of extra toasty cheeses and whatever else my mom said she couldn't get from other grocers while we were having our like mini food crisis on the island. Um, and they would do like drive by drop offs and just drop me. Even if I didn't ask, they would include a box because um, they it was getting me through. For my mom, it was red Doritos. It was just this weird thing. Like it was like she couldn't stomach anything, but they were hitting the spot where she was at least getting something in if the medicine was making her stomach upset. It was horrible. Like these are not, these are not wellness foods by any means, but they were, they were just what was comforting on a level that we felt like we were surviving with them. Um, What was the medicine that you were taking at the time? What during that? It was just antibiotics. Um, Probably heavy duty ones though, right? So for the, for the bilateral pneumonia she had prescribed, I was taking two pills. I unfortunately don't remember exactly what they were, but they were two different kinds of antibiotics to target the infection, depending on what they thought it might have been. But it was all like I didn't get all they did was an x-ray. They didn't do any sort of like culture or biopsy or or anything. I don't know how pneumonias normally. I think that they normally are either like it's either bacterial or viral. So here's some antibiotics. If you're going to get better, if it's bacterial. If you just start to get better over time, you kicked the virus. But otherwise. So I think because at first... We were when we were originally reflecting on it as a family, they were like, if it's a virus COVID, why did the antibiotics make you better? And I'm like, no, one of the original things that came out and I don't know if it still stands. So forgive me if this isn't already true, but there was originally uh, an inference that when you had COVID, it was causing a bacterial buildup in your blood. And that's why some people were getting like so systematically head to toe sick. It wasn't that it was the virus necessarily, but it was what it was doing to your blood that was causing a bunch of whacked out crap to happen. I think that I got bacterial pneumonia from the virus. So I think that that's why the antibiotics worked so well for me. 
But again, it's like all theoreticals. <laughs> like it's not. I mean, that makes sense, and also makes sense like why s- there were so many different like severities of right. COVID among people of all different shape, sizes, health. Yeah. Previous prior conditions. Everything. Sure. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah. So that was. I mean, like as far as the actual symptoms that I suffered during while I was sick, it was mostly pure exhaustion, fatigue, um, some headaches. Fine. Eventually I started getting headaches where I couldn't kick them. I feel like that was more, that's more of part of my long COVID symptoms because I didn't have them very frequently when I was actually sick or immediately about when I was being diagnosed, these came after. Um, but then the taste sensations, like as far as I couldn't taste anything for a very long time, it was very bizarre world to live in. I couldn't smell most things either. Eventually, I'd started to get back my taste and my smell. I'm almost completely there, but I have aversions now to certain food that taste horrible that I did not have before. So, like, I'm somebody that I like, I like structuring my diet around protein. And so I'll sometimes get my protein not necessarily through meat, but I'll do, like, Greek yogurt or cottage cheese or things like that. Dairy products taste like shit now for me and they didn't before (laughs) i'll still try to stomach them and i'll do certain things to them but they are actually in their pure form gag inducing for me and that's not at all what i had before covid so it's it's troublesome when i base a lot of my diet around those things cheese is fine thank thank god because (laughs) i couldn't live without my cheese but as far as like cottage cheese or, or yogurt or ricotta things that are more like wet dairy based I don't drink right. milk, so I don't know, but um, very bizarre, just very, very weird. And then also soda. I'm not a soda drinker typically, but like if you have a slice of pizza, you're going to want to have a cola with it. I don't know. That's just how I am. So like I'm a Pepsi person, so I'd have a, a glass of Diet Pepsi with Diet Pepsi, lettuce, and tomato, raw tomato. I get what almost tastes like in the back of my nose rubbing alcohol. Oh. And that is from COVID. That did not happen before COVID. And I still have it to this day. It was worse just after COVID. It's gotten better over time. But still, like if I open up a can of a Pepsi, if we're having certain food that I want to drink it with, um, I'll forget and I'll go to sip it. And I'll be like, oh, no, I can't. And not even like not even like good alcohol. It's not like it's a nice vino. It's like rubbing <laughs> alcohol. It's like it's a really stringent like medicinal alcohol, almost like when you walk into like a blood center and you can smell yeah. it because they're using it or like a doctor's sure, office, sure. that scent and flavor and like the back of my throat, the back of my nose. So well, the thing with the senses though, and again, I don't know nothing about nothing, but uh, it, it's <laughs> that's, is that a, do we know if that's a thing with your brain or is it more of just like your actual, like, um, uh, like your nose and mouth type deal? S- so I, that is? I don't know if I had to guess, I would assume it's neurological um, yeah. because I have other neurological symptoms that have been uh, part of my long hauler experience. So like, right, right, right. in addition to, so like certain sensations I will feel, and I don't know if they're circulatory or if they're neurological and any since having COVID, any like doctor experience that I've had has not been able to pinpoint it either, but I've had all of a sudden I'm getting like vibration sensations in my legs and not in like a, I don't know if it's circulatory or otherwise. I do have edema and I thought maybe it was related to the edema, but it doesn't seem to exist at the same time of, as my edema flare ups. It's like mm-hmm. random and sudden and then it goes away. So it's not like I'm sitting. And when I say like, I mean like almost like a pins and needles, but not quite as sharp. It's a very, it's very <laughs> weird. It's like if you took, like if your phone was buzzing because it was going off and you like held it against your leg. Yeah, I think I've had that it's before. It's like a weird like sensation. So and it's I, I had a period of time where it felt like it was for like a week straight and then all of a sudden it completely stopped. And then now I'll have like random bouts of it. And it's just very bizarre. And I don't know for sure if it's COVID related, but it's nothing that I had experienced prior to COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not also something that didn't was not on set until more recently. So I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so like that's just one other thing that I'm thinking that I could attribute because it's not as far as whatever testing I've had or experienced. It doesn't seem to be related to anything else biological, not circulatory, not edema related. Nothing else is really wrong with me. So it's like, what else then? Um, Right. 
but still figuring that out. Um, but as far as like physical symptoms, those are like my main things that have been, um, things that I often forget about as I'm like moving around and then all of a sudden I'll go to eat my breakfast and I'm like, oh, this yogurt tastes like literal shit. Like I got to put cinnamon (laughs) in it or something to be able to tolerate it. And again, that's just very weird things that, you know, I didn't have prior. Um, um, probably more so though than like a, um, physical impact that I've had from long COVID. I know there are others who've had much more severe physical long-term issues from COVID. Um, I luckily have essentially what I feel is regained my full lung capacity. My, um, my, my blood ox when I test it seems to be great. So I'm, I lucked out and not having seemingly having any long-term damage, which is what I thought I would have had given how sick I was at the mm-hmm. time. Um, but more so I've struggled, um, with my mental health more than any physical aspect of COVID. Um, like prior to COVID, um, I pretty much do, would not have ever considered like that. I had like bad mental health days. I, I experienced anxiety, here and there and I'd have maybe like a little flare up of that or around a particular event or something, but nothing like what I have experienced since COVID. So like in reflecting on the whole experience, the original, like the instance of feeling as sick as I did being as sick as I did, like essentially a near death experience for me. And I mean, I wasn't hospitalized. I wasn't intubated. So I can't even imagine the trauma that comes with having that experience. But for I can only speak from my experience of being completely traumatized by what I went through um, and then suffering from long-term brain fog, um, fatigue, um, lack of excitement in doing things that used to excite me. Um mm absolute terror and anxiety over the idea of having to return to any sort of like workspace or leaving my house. Uh, I became slightly agoraphobic at some point. Um, So like the mental aspects of the entire thing were leaps and bounds worse in going through it. I spoke about the darkness in feeling um, so helpless and so isolated that I didn't think I was going to come out of it. I did. And there was almost like a period of like, uh, almost like a calm after the storm or like a high that I felt after finally feeling better. And then having the luxury of being able to like go in the pool on my lunch break and like enjoy the summer where I was able to just be home with my family. Like I'm not, you know, we missed out on like vacations or little outings that we would do, but otherwise like I'm pretty much have decided that I'm a homebody and I enjoy being at home. It's my comfort (laughs) space. And I like the people that I was home with. So it worked out for me in that way. Um, but like the work from home thing was a completely other animal. So like I, even though I would advocate and want to still work from home, especially cause I've gotten better at handling it sort of. Um, and I just appreciated the freedom that comes with working from home and the ability that you had that flexibility. And for those who needed this all along, it wasn't until it was a national crisis that anybody was granted it. So that's, you know, a big mm-hmm. You know, right. great mid- right. a big middle finger from corporate America, as we like to say. Um, so um, that was fine for a little bit. And then as the summer went on and it was like July and then August and we were trying to figure out additional things that were not being taken care of because nobody was in the office. And I was still trying to work and still trying to. Oh, I was supposed to get married, you know, that December. No big deal. Um Things like that, um, that all of a sudden I started to realize that I was having a lot of trouble executing tasks generally, like, um, tasks that were for my job, more like, like more important ones. Um, I had started a a PhD during COVID. Like I literally got applied while I was in Florida and got accepted while I was thought I was dying. And I was like, cool, my PhD acceptance. Um, see you guys in the summer. I delayed, I was supposed to start in the spring. But I delayed it. Um, all of these things were on my plate and I felt like I wasn't taking care of any of them. And then it got to the point where I felt like I was unable to like bathe. I just like wasn't mm-hmm. and like just existing. And it just was this weird where like my brain was just like, you should probably do this. Nah. And then I would just go to other things. And it was like not it was like I had entered this headspace where I was like, 
treat yourself. <laughs> Don't worry about anything you have to take care of and just like exist. But I was existing actually in like a buzzy fog of like nothing actually getting done completely dysfunctional like just not right. and just just putting out fires as they came to me like especially for my job yeah. like it wasn't Total so much trauma response yeah so like it wasn't so much like i was held accountable by other people at my job so like if they came to me with certain things or somebody was upset about something that i had to do i would do it and fix it but then when i'd log out of work i was the person that had to hold myself accountable and i was struggling to do that i'm still struggling mm. to do that in some ways so i knew something was wrong um, but I didn't recognize it on the level of my personal life at first. I mostly recognized it in my work because that's when it became, um, uh, anxiety inducing for me because all of a sudden people were like, we needed this a week ago. I'm like, oh yeah, you did. Um, so I sought help and I've never, I've always been somebody who's been an advocate for mental health and therapy and everything, but I've never done therapy and I never thought I would need therapy. Um, just because I thought you only went to therapy when, you know, you had a really big problem. And so I thought I had ADD. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. And it was because I couldn't focus on anything. Nothing could be focused on to the point where I'd actually accomplish it and be able to move on. So that was the primary. I was like, oh, and I like I, I would Google some things and I'd be like, oh, it sounds like maybe I have. Maybe I've always had ADD, but it's it's I've never... Like, they would be like, people with ADD procrastinate. And I was like, I procrastinate. And they were like, they don't, they, you know, they can't concentrate or they'd rather be doing X, Y, and Z. And so all those things did f sort of fit my work ethic in school, but I'd always get things done. It wasn't a problem. It would eventually happen. So I just assumed that maybe COVID and, and having to work the way that I was working triggered like a second harsher wave of like an ADD that I otherwise had been coping with. So I expressed this to a few people in my life and they were like, well, I don't know. I mean, if you do, you gotta, you know, you'd go get checked. And if you have it, you have it and we figure it out. So I went and I got hooked up with a really great therapist and I had a couple of sessions where I just very manically expressed everything that had happened to me, um, over the course of the pandemic and just prior or whatever. And, uh, he was like, <laughs> he was really funny. Cause he was like, well, I don't, I would say you, I don't think you have ADD. It sounds more like, like you said, it's a trauma response. It sounds like you're traumatized and that you have PTSD. And I was like, I don't have PTSD. <laughs> PTSD is for soldiers and people who have seen shit, right? So like, I just, I don't know. It just wasn't something that I considered at all. And I felt like to claim a PTSD diagnosis was almost to disparage or insult those who had been through worse and had mm -hmm. a diagnosis. Um, right. Like I, I've never, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in the thick of literal war and then come home with that diagnosis. I didn't feel I had been through that. However, upon some reflecting, <laughs> well, we, I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we can reflect upon just remarks you had made earlier right. about, you know, your condition. It, it seems right. very exactly. understandable. Right. Exactly. So like mm -hmm. after some uh, a few weeks of therapy, I started to come around to this idea and agreed eventually. Not that I had to. He was pretty much was like, this is what you have. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. And so things that I thought were presenting as like an ADD or a depression were actually presenting as PTSD which was being triggered by feelings of helplessness and isolation, which when you're continuing to work from home yeah. during a pandemic, you Just can't really, feeds it. right. You can't really get away from. So it became this world that I was delving into now where I was like, Whoa, that's, and see that one coming and then proceeded to try and like seek out support for that aspect. And this is on top of, so now this is a PTSD diagnosis on top of, all the other neurological symptoms that I'm dealing with on top of the brain fog, on top of the, um, you know, small bouts of depression that I was having um, where I was not like, I, I've not been diagnosed with like a chronic depression or like an actual like medical depression. Um, but that kind of exists within the sphere of everything that I went through and everything that I was struggling with. So after having that diagnosis happen and then having continued support from my therapist and expressing my 
struggle. I don't, I don't like to share struggle up and now I, now I do it all the time. I come on podcasts and talk about it. But (laughs) before that point, it was not something, and I didn't think of myself as somebody that felt, um, I guess not like, not like you can't talk about your struggle. I've always been somebody that felt like we should talk more about our struggles and be more open about things, but then being thrusted into this world of you with a diagnosis became a whole nother animal for me. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, we both like disclosed our PTSD to each other at the same time. And it was like in a whisper, it was like, I was diagnosed with this and you were like, me too. It was like very (laughs) close to each other, but like, reframing trauma as something that can happen on a much um, quieter level than what we're used to PTSD being associated with um, Mm -hmm. helped me better have compassion for myself and potentially Mm -hmm. others that were going through it as well. So um, that was wild. That was a wild experience. And then like, I'd like to be able to be like I did X, Y, and Z and now I'm good. I'm no. not. That's not how trauma no. works. No, and I like I just this past week had therapy on Tuesday and went into therapy. I had come off of an anxious weekend and I couldn't pinpoint. I felt like I couldn't. My frustration was I felt like I wasn't doing things right, but I couldn't figure out why and I couldn't figure out how to make it better. And when I say that, I'm talking about like not being able to, again, execute certain things at my job or personally for myself or keep my house clean. Things that I was recognizing, almost like a fly on the wall, almost like from a bird's eye view that I was recognizing Mm -hmm. were going wrong, but that I had no way, like I was completely just observing. Even though I was living it, it felt like I was not. And that I was just watching it all happen. Um, So I was like not telling him this for some reason. (laughs) Like, I do, again, I don't know, but I was like, he's like, how is work? I'm like, work's fine, I guess. And then I was like, well, you know, I wasn't getting to these things and I still haven't. And then I was supposed to organize this part of my house and I didn't. And, uh, and I just kept like saying, and I'm like, I went a week behind on my schoolwork. And he was like, well, <laughs> what? And I'm like, is it, we essentially decided that he feels like I'm experiencing some sort of burnout. But the best analogy that I could come up with, and I feel like what makes me feel like best explains on a metaphorical level the my trauma response is that I'm standing in the middle of a storm, a tornado, a hurricane, whatever you want, but I'm in the eye of it. So in the eye of it, it's calm. I look fine. In the vortex of the storm, in everything that's spinning around me are all the things that are my responsibilities. Everything from the things that I need to do at work to the things that I need to do at school, to the wedding I'm still supposed to be having <laughs> that got moved, um, to uh, my basic needs, like feeding myself and drinking water and going to sleep on time. I stand in the middle of the vortex, and when I wake up in the morning, I throw my arms out to the side, and I try to grab whatever I can and then struggle to pull them back close to me, handle those things to the best of my ability, and then it's time for bed. And so existing that way every day for a year and a half is exhausting and and troublesome and I have good weeks I have I have you know two or three weeks at a time where I've suddenly gotten back into the flow of being productive and being able to execute a bunch of things but then I have a week like I had last week where I felt like I did jack shit and I'm sorry about the language (laughs) um but uh I and I just all of a sudden it it takes it takes me experiencing something like I really miss a deadline for me to wake up and be like, oh, I'm really not doing things the way that I feel like I should be doing them. Like it's it's hard for me to recognize it when I'm in it. So that is part of this lingering PTSD diagnosis where I'm I'm suddenly still dealing with some of the things that are left over. We're not back at work full time yet. So when I'm on, when I have weeks where I'm home more often, I tend to find that I'm back in this snow globe of chaos and isolation that I feel like all of a sudden I let things get away from me. Um, But the mental, so the mental aspect of this has been much more um, harsh in the long haul of COVID than otherwise. And like, if I did not disclose in detail all this, you would have no idea that this was a struggle. And like, you'd look at my life and the things that I'm doing, and I'm, I'm very good at executing things on a surface level where it looks like I'm handling all of it. So like my job, 
doesn't know that I'm struggling on this level because I don't think it's appropriate for me to like kick in my, my, my uh, supervisor's door and be like, listen to my struggle. Cause we're all dealing with that. Like it's not, I'm dealing with it on a personal level, but we also experience a global trauma. And there's a lot of people that are feeling some of the same things that I'm feeling, even if they're not seeking help for it or experiencing therapy that's helping them try to get through it. Um, so I feel like that, uh, I have no idea how much of that my watch is recorded because I looked down and it was like, Siri was like, sorry, what? I'm like, <laughs> never mind. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like I just ran. I don't even know what questions I got to is that, you know, needed answering. But there's uh, a lot of anxiety in um, trying to exist post-COVID for me as somebody who experienced COVID and has long haul COVID symptoms. But I also know just from my family that having experienced not COVID themselves, but the, um, the illness of COVID and then also the aftermath and then also the isolation that came Mm -hmm. with, even if you didn't have COVID that you were just forced into that there is like a global trauma on top of our personal traumas on top of, you know, all the rest of the shit that we carry with us all the time. So like as a whole, I have found that this whole experience has made me more empathetic and compassionate towards myself um, and then towards humanity as a whole, and then also deeply, deeply bitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that the thing, uh, and I think everything you said makes total sense as you explained it. I mean, especially with the example about kind of being in the eye of the storm, I, I can under- I completely relate to that feeling. Um, but I think with when you kind of put it in COVID, like specifically, it's like the 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 the, dis- the discourse around COVID has be has like there's so much like toxicity just based on like the so like it's it's when when you ha- when you link a lot of the trauma like you're referring to to this thing and then people are kind of referring to this you know this thing in such you know nonchalant terms or 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 to the fact where they don't even think it was a th- they don't people don't even think it's a thing or this whole kind of thing i think that that i mean i don't know if you're gonna if that's what you meant by the bitterness but that i i and i didn't even luckily was n- never had covid so but, but even i understand like that type of like anger of this type of like discourse the way it's discussed it it, it feels very frustrating to to be so uh, I, like you people i think a lot lost a lot of faith in humanities for as a whole or in society the way that people kind of were just you know turned on each other i feel like in a way yeah mm-hmm. i it's actually <laughs> You essentially, I had made a whole note underneath, like, how do I feel about the way that people, you know, a question that was presented to me for discussion was, how do I feel about people generally talking about long COVID? And I almost verbatim wrote, like, it's not so much that, it's the people who are in complete denial of the whole thing that Mm -hmm. rubs me the wrong way. I'm, that's the G version of what I wrote. Um, (laughs) But that really gets under my skin in a way that nothing else does. And it's. Mm-hmm. it is I think that it, it pisses me off to the extent that people who deny the Holocaust piss me off because it's like because you didn't experience it doesn't mean that something doesn't happen mm-hmm. like it just doesn't it's wild to me that because you don't experience it it doesn't happen at the same time I empathize with people who hold ignorance in them Due to lack of exposure. I don't appreciate it, but I can empathize. (laughs) Right. So for me, like, the problem is that if you're somebody who's denying that COVID ever happened. Yeah, like there were just trucks full of dead bodies in New York City when the hospitals were overrun as a gag. Just (laughs) kidding. Like that, like, you know, uh, I can't even imagine the trauma firsthand. Like we know so many people who are nurses and who work Mm -hmm. in hospitals, the trauma that I can't, like I purposely, I think that part of, you know, I don't know if at the time I was thinking this, but part of my staying out of the hospital while I was so sick was that was just going to end up being another traumatic thing on top of what I was already digesting all the trauma that I was dealing with. Um, yeah. So I can't even imagine. And I'm, sh- and I'm sure that most of the people that we know that were also nurses at the time probably got it also. And so now they're dealing with having watching death every day or severe illness, then having to take time off from that job in order to deal with their own illness. Not sure where that was going to go to then just go right. back to it. 
Like, can you even imagine? Like, oh my God. So like, I feel like for the people who deny that COVID is a thing, who think that people who still are experiencing symptoms that are, you know, that they're just like dramatic or part of some sort of like leftist cause to get people vaccinated with 5G in their bloodstreams. Like, right, right. I feel like to them, how dare you, given all like, like, I think that's such a slap in the face for all of the healthcare workers and all of the, um, you know, the, the, the grocery workers, the people that were trying to keep things running and functional so that we could exist as a, as a society during mm-hmm. that time. How dare you have that, you know, just, just don't, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it type of thing. Like, it's just like, no, oh my God. And then most of us, when we were isolated, all that we had to go to for any sort of like interaction was social media. And per my last time on the pod, we all know how I feel about that. Um, where like, it's just, it tends to be a cesspool where people just feel like they have a platform so they can say whatever it is that they want. And right. mostly with little repercussion for the most part, like unless they're saying something so heinous that it becomes like a reporting issue. Um, right. I'm sensitive to people who aren't getting the vaccine. I feel like for me personally, I feel like with any vaccine that if you are somebody who can get it, you need to get it. This mm-hmm. goes for childhood vaccines, the annual flu vaccine, the COVID vaccine. By doing that, by being somebody who is healthy enough to receive the vaccine, you are not only protecting yourself. If you don't care about protecting yourself and don't think of it that way, you are helping anybody, cancer patients, the chronically ill, um, the low income people who are having trouble getting to either can't get the vaccines or don't have the resources to get to the vaccines. You are only making the world a little bit better for them and in turn yourself. Problem is people don't like to think on a like socialist level where we're like, we're all in it together. Yeah, that was, that, was, yeah, that, that seems to be one of the, the big, <laughs> you want me to help somebody else? Right. Yeah. yeah. Like it just the, doesn't no handouts. Yeah. Yeah. The, the self-preservation and, that emerged like so dramatically i think was something that was in the in that in that sentiment that people got it it was it was pretty yeah there was a big narrative of you're not my problem like i could take care of myself right which i think is kill something that you often even before covid that's that was kind of the whole issue that you had a whole issue at a old job about the flu shot because i asked my desk to be moved because i shared an office with somebody who would come in sick and you know, even if you're just a lot like that's just a bad corporate culture in general, ever, like everywhere does it where like if you're not sick and dying with a bad fever, you should still come into work. And mm-hmm. that's I'm hoping really that has, I'm hoping that that has I mean, I work in the education sector, which tends to be a little bit ahead of the game or a little bit more progressive than other corporate spaces in mm-hmm. in America. Right. So like. I saw changes almost immediately in my job that. I think that a lo- took a lot of other places a longer time to catch on. However, I mm-hmm. think that the whole idea that, like, I'm not feeling well, I'm going to... We also have, though, I don't know if this was the case with your job, that you actually were able to work from home prior to the pandemic. I, we were not allowed to work from home prior to the pandemic. That was not something that we had access to. Um, a few privileged people had the ability to, do, to use VPN, but otherwise that wasn't the case. So... Now that we have, now I can say, hey, not feeling 100%, I'm going to work from home today. It's much more like they accept it better because, like, mm-hmm. they know that you're still going to try to do some things from home as opposed to making mm-hmm. you be in the office to get things done. Um, so I, I'm hoping that long term that becomes a little bit better. But I have a, a tricky little feeling that it's going to be like a short term allowance and then slowly mm-hmm. it's going to be phased out and we're going to return to our strict corporate you know, come yeah. in unless yeah. your feet are falling off. It'll be interesting to I see would, for sure. Yeah, I would hope not, but I would think that, you know, you're just going to lose talent that way. Like, that's why, pretty much why I quit my corporate job yeah. because I, it, that's it's not worth it to me anymore um, to there do has that. Been, but I, I mean, I have other options in my life. Not everybody has the right, luxury that I do. Right, and I actually have seen huge issues of retention in my field because there's been a lot of, like, um, say, like, software vendors that we use, like, certain software um, in my industry have been poaching people who work in the colleges where they're like, hey, you want to work from home? 
come work for us. And then there mm-hmm. people are leaving because they're getting really nice salary, really nice benefits to continue working from home. What yeah. boggles me, not to derail this entire conversation into this, <laughs> but I would think, and I'm not I'm not an economist, so whatever, um, that the ability to have people work from home and use their own technology and resources, as opposed to maintaining a building where you have to pay for heat and electricity and rent and whatever else would be beneficial Mm -hmm. (laughs) and better for your bottom line to keep people working from home, especially if they've been able to prove that they are continued productive people. So I don't know. Landlords don't like that. And then it all goes in a circle. That's just capitalism. And right. (laughs) And we're here. So anyway, we could do another podcast about that. Yeah. But I would, I would say that that is also a public health issue and that's all intertwined. No, it absolutely (laughs) is. Um, I totally agree. So I don't know, like, I don't know if I answered all your questions. I hope I did. You know what? I was just skimming through them and I'm like, I don't know if I just like know you well enough that I knew the questions that you were going to want to answer in your experience or if you were just very well prepared in or your rant. Or maybe we're just, we're just that good of interviewers. And uh, just, you know what? All just because I'm on it. camera, it's just because you guys run. No, I would say this anyway. You guys, <laughs> you guys run an incredibly uh, well-functioning machine here. So the questions yeah. that I was given covered you know, pretty much everything that I would have discussed otherwise. But I mean, I think that there's something to be said about like, this is my experience as an individual, as, as Kelsey, as me with COVID, you could find somebody who's had a similar traumatic experience with another disease or another instance where, you know, the whole point of what you guys are doing here is that you're featuring people who have something to say in hopes that it resonates. And Mm -hmm. purely based off of your following and the work that you're continuing to do and the people who were eager to write in and participate, it's working and you're doing really great things. So I'm just grateful to, you know, have a platform to discuss this because where else am I going to go? I got like three followers somewhere. So <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so I hope that that covers, um, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty much, I mean, I'm working on my own space for sharing things as well. And I've, it's actually inspired me to do a career change. Um, so I'm hoping to, within the next three years, be a licensed therapist. Um, it's oh, made me great. completely reexamine the role of mental health support um, in a way that I feel much more personally tied to it. And I think that the more that we discuss our trauma, the more that we validate ourselves and others. So I think that mm-hmm. it's important and I appreciate the work that you do here. Amen. I think that's yeah. great. But say amen I, about yourself. Kiela, no, I'm saying amen about her and talking about trauma. Oh. Uh, she can say it about herself. But too. amen to all the stuff about yeah. us too. That was really great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I have to agree. We are fabulous. But any, the great part any is hoodle. that we're already friends on Venmo. So you can just send me my payment for the on-air yes. endorsement. Yes. And then that's yes. exactly really right. Convenient. I will pay you in sick invite magnets. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but I... I you're another person that I had said, hey, can you come back on one? Because this is our one year anniversary episode. And I thought it, would it be is a nice circle. I'm such a good friend um, that I didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I also, didn't realize either. So it's OK. I also I don't know how many people know about long COVID. Mm-hmm. And I really want the exposure of it because if people are not feeling well, that we can address it and like i i don't have enough data on this to really go into it maybe we'll do an episode on it in the future but there is you know studies on what's happening after covid and similar to crohn's disease and how that could be diagnosed um i had talked about it in a, a few episodes they because mine is not hereditary no one else in my family has crohn's mm-hmm. they think that it was something that was dormant in me and a virus that i had like awakened this autoimmune disease and since then I've had symptoms and they think that coronavirus might be one of those viruses that can awaken dormant diseases within sure. you and just cause this inflammatory response and then there was also St. Jude had a study and I sent this to you like way like a year ago yeah, at this yeah. point that uh, Remicade which is what I'm on was used in some studies um, and was helpful to people who were having an inflammatory reaction in their COVID mm-hmm. experience. So it's, I mean, we we're learning a lot about this virus and how to manage the long-term symptoms. So I, maybe this time next year, we could regroup on that again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I hope to, I haven't, I haven't, cause again, like this, 
whole experience has made me much more, um, I was already, um, not quick to seek medical doctors and just testing and everything. And it only got worse experiencing COVID. I became a little bit more like agoraphobic and it took me a long time to get back into those mm-hmm. spaces. And, you know, I, I went for my annual checkup last year. It's coming up again, whatever. But unless I'm having a major issue, I tend to not be going. But I'm curious to start bringing up those conversations with my physicians and saying, I want to know if there's any sort of like, you know, damage or inflammation or something that we can pinpoint potentially to COVID. I think, unfortunately, and I think with some people's frustration uh, during the pandemic and what kind of uh, grew um, some of this, like, I don't know if you want to call it ignorance or animosity or whatever to the to the health officials like the CDC, like people started to joke about the CDC and things that they were saying or Fauci or uh, for us in New York Cuomo, like people became downright nasty about updates that we were receiving and like their people are only providing us with the information that they are finding on a day to day basis with a brand new disease compared to other diseases that we've had around for centuries. Um mm-hmm with what they're trying to get a handle on. And the information may change the inform Like I said, my symptoms that I originally had that were absolutely COVID symptoms were not considered COVID symptoms until like two months after I had had COVID. So like this mm-hmm. information, I think that people grow anxious and frustrated and are, are quick to upset when they feel like the information they're receiving may be false or not properly vetted. And it creates a lot of, interpersonal frustration and national frustration um, when this is the information that we're receiving, right? So I think that we are going to be learning about COVID for an extremely long time. I think that Mm -hmm. the information that we've discussed in this episode may not be, you know, appropriate two years from now. Like, we don't know. So, like, asterisk, (laughs) this this was filmed. Accurate as of July 14th, 2021. By the time we release the episode. Well, it's true, true, but but I think your feelings... And your and yeah. your, what your experiences will always remain the same in terms of your feelings. So I think sure, that that's, yeah. and that's the most important takeaway I think for people, yeah. which is why we're so happy you were able to to, to do that with us. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think so much is to say that um, I think that we will. It's just ever evolving, like Crohn's is ever evolving, like these the studies and the treatments and everything will just all be different so i will just keep coming back you'll have to keep recording me and i will i am always appreciative of a uh sick invite so yeah we expect an annual kelsey update hey i'm, da- I'm down was, for that oh that was her yeah she worked it in there that was her sick invite i don't know was that your sick was invite? that your conclusion your yeah i'm always invite? appreciative for a sick invite there it is. <laughs> <laughs> and i just kept talking just stepped all over i'm like yeah head. and 